This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is jo Johnny Gould's Jewish, Jewish State. State. It was an interesting moment to visit Parliament. Mr. Speaker, with, with your permission, I would like to make a statement. And first, I want to express my deepest gratitude to Sue Gray and all the people who have contributed to this report, which I have placed in the library of this house and which the government has published in full today for everyone to read. I will address its findings in this statement, but firstly, I want to say sorry. And I'm sorry for the things we simply didn't get right, and also sorry for the way that this matter has been handled. And it's no use saying that this or that was within the rules, and it's no use saying that people were working hard. While the Prime Minister fended off derision from the opposition and revolt from a few of his own backbenchers, I was upstairs awaiting our guest, who was in the chamber listening to Boris's latest party piece. But it was peace with a different spelling I'd come to Parliament to talk about, with the Right Honourable Dr Liam Fox MP. He's chair of the UK Abraham Accords Group. The Abraham Accords is a pact of normalisation between Israel and the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco and Sudan. Will the change of hearts and minds it started spread across the region, indeed the world? It's an historic expression which says peace and cooperation in the region lies way beyond the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and into the hands of nations of goodwill to pursue peace, security and trade. A self-proclaimed Eurosceptic and an ardent Brexiteer, Dr Fox sees the Accords as an opportunity for Britain to forge a new identity and a foreign policy position right around the world. And I have felt for a very long time that the uh, European Union is locked into a very sterile straitjacket in terms of foreign policy, which probably can be summed up that in terms of the Middle East, unless Israel-Palestine is completely resolved as an issue, nothing else can happen. Now, I think that is a, a non-productive, suboptimal approach at best um, and simply reinforces all the mistakes of the past and stereotypes at worst. Dr Fox has been Secretary of State for Defence and then International Trade, responsible for helping to secure trade deals with countries beyond the EU following Brexit. And Britain and Israel's relationship is stronger than it's ever been. Couple that with Bahrain as one of the UK's longest-standing allies, and he says the imperatives of the Accords are on the firmest ground, not threatened by a change in Prime Minister or even political administration. No, it's not. It's not any more than it's dependent upon who forms the government in Israel. There are imperatives in the relationship which go well beyond party or personality, that we have strong mutual security interests, that we've got strong mutual economic interests, that we are innovative, creative economies and people um, who, when 
governments follow a more enlightened path can actually have a greater role in shaping the world around us. It's a question of both courage, but it's also a question of vision. So what about America's increasing isolationism in the region? And can Britain fill the vacuum in terms of diplomacy and trade? Here is the Right Honourable Dr Liam Fox MP. Welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you. Now, you are chair of the UK Abraham Accords Group, appointed by the ambassadors to the UK of Bahrain, Israel and the UAE. The warmth of the relationship between these nations has given such hope to the cause of peace. Well, I, I've been out in the, the Gulf twice in uh, the last couple of months, and it, it is very obvious how not only it, that there are changes taking place, but how quickly the change is taking place. And I think that there has been a pent-up wish amongst ordinary people to see a normalisation of relationships. The, uh, the Abram Accords are a genuinely historic moment. And I think that they were somewhat overshadowed by the American electoral process. Uh, incidentally, I think if a Democratic president had overseen this, they'd be getting a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> but I don't wish to comment on uh, uh, the vagaries of, the, uh, of international political sensitivities. But, but I think it's a genuinely historic moment um, that I think will potentially become more realised as time goes by than it perhaps is today. But its significance lies in the ability to break from the straitjacket of thinking that has actually held back progress and peace and stability uh, in the region. And it gives us a new way of thinking about old problems. And what can Britain's role be in securing and growing the Abraham Accords? Well, we have a strong friendship uh, with Israel. We have a strong friendship with Bahrain, one of our oldest allies, with the UAE, one of our main trading partners outside the EU and with a number of other countries in the region and uh, Morocco is an, another good example of that uh, and I think that we can use our economic and our diplomatic and of course our security presence in the region to help cement and to grow and to develop some of these uh, already strengthening relationships. I for example was signing uh, I, I signed an MOU between my Abraham Accords group and, uh, and a young Israeli think tank group just a few weeks ago. And I think that the more that we develop a whole range of different relationships, the more we develop a new set of levers to be able to help shape policy. And the key at this part, I think, of the process is building confidence, building relationships, building networks, uh, some of which may not exist in the way that we would, we would have uh, between different countries in the same region. Uh, the more that these develop, the more that people see that it doesn't matter what you call God, only what you do about it, <laughs> the better. In, indeed, I um, conducted an interview with His Excellency Mansour Abulhul just weeks after the signature, and we marveled at the fact that we were actually doing the interview in the first place. Now we can truly understand what Israel means to the UAE, to the Arab world, to the Muslim community, and move from 
you know, if you think decades ago, there was a general indoctrination um, and we can move from that, those sort of ideological restraints to, to politics, to actually engaging on multiple levels to, to see how we can build bridges and links and also tackle some of the pressing issues through dialogue and communication. And it kind of brought out into the open what had been going on, actually, between the UAE and Israel in a subterranean fashion for, for perhaps a decade or more. Well, I think that the UAE is, is different. The UAE was never at war with Israel. They've never had, so, so as has been made very clear, this is not a peace agreement because there was never any conflict. What it is, I think, is uh, a compass that, that sets the course mm-hmm. for the future. And I think that um, the government of the UAE and I think uh, uh, the Crown Prince in particular has shown great courage in doing this, although I think it was in gestation for some time. Mm -hmm. I think it has only been about choosing the moment. I think that the Trump administration and the interest that they showed in the process and the commitment of the then Israeli Prime Minister, all all these different elements came together at just the right time to be able to produce what we have today. Now the responsibility for countries like Britain, the United States and others, is having got this far, we can't possibly allow it to be reversed and therefore we have to do what we can to 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 take it forward as I've often said you're either on the front foot or the back foot Uh, there's nothing in between and this is one of those occasions we need to be on the front foot indeed and you mentioned whatever we call God this is the wonderful thing about the Abraham Accords it's beautifully named that's the first thing and the relationship between Israel and the UAE is particularly warm given the desire by both parties to look to what uh, makes them similar rather than different. New nations of the 20th century, comparable GDPs, UAE is just ahead of Israel at the moment. Even a desire to put some of their citizens in space, <laughs> trade, peace, security, cooperation. John Medved of uh, our crowd, the CEO of uh, that august organization, said that in the next 10 years, uh, there could be as much as a trillion dollars of, of deals to be done between those two countries. You know, it was once described several years ago as the wet, worst kept secret in the Middle East, the relationship between the Emirates and Israel. Now it's out in the open. But the reality is that I think most people misunderstand how important this is and what a huge game changer it is. From the very onset and even before have been active at our crowd in uh, hopefully leading in this, you know, historic rapprochement or historic normalization. And the reality is that we quickly moved to hire a team led by Emiratis in the Gulf, led by Dr. Sabah al-Banali, who runs our operation there. We're making investments in the Gulf. It's not just about Emirati money meeting Israeli startups. It's about Israeli investors investing there. Our companies are busy working on joint ventures. And when you take these two entrepreneurial societies, and I'm saying deliberately two entrepreneurial societies because the Emiratis have built this incredible uh, state, very, very modern, very, very far thinking, whether it's sending missions to Mars or working on artificial intelligence, or building food security with next generation food technology. The Emiratis are worthy partners, okay? And they they get it. And what we, what we don't fully understand is that what has happened is that a sand curtain 
has essentially dropped. Okay, it's like the Iron Curtain. Back when the Berlin Wall fell, the world changed. And no matter what people want to do in terms of reestablishing, you know, those bad old days, it's not going to happen. And people don't get it. This is not just a temporary blip. This is a historic trend where Jews and Arabs will no longer be known for their fighting, but be known for their cooperation and their joint leadership of the world. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, I think you've got, I think that's right, but I think you need to see this on multiple levels. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's a start of a process, I think, for the UAE. Uh, if you look at their, their current planned reforms internally, in their legal system, for example, these are brave and far-reaching uh, reforms. And I think that the Abraham Accords, in, the term, in terms of the UAE's domestic politics, is simply another step forward. And I think we'll see uh, a number of those. But you do uh, correctly uh, refer to the, some of the economic similarities, uh, countries that are uh, innovative, the UAE increasingly seeking to take its place amongst those creative, innovative tech nations in particular. Israel, of course, a world leader in that area. And I think that there is a, an understanding that this relationship is not going to be deepened by nice words and diplomacy alone. It's got to have some, mm-hmm. some uh, hard-headed uh, benefits. And, I, and I, as I said during my most recent visit, um, it's not, there's no point in just convincing the political elite. You have, for example, to convince the Arab street that there will be tangible benefits for citizens there. And I think that's very much what the, the UAE is focusing on. And I think that's also where Bahrain will, will be focused is how do you develop joint ventures where the benefits of collaboration can be seen by all citizens as a means of cementing this into the thinking, particularly of young people, so that rather than being a great innovation in terms of international relations, it becomes the norm. And you are a Brexiteer. Uh, one of the biggest upsides of independence in this country is, is freedom to enact our own foreign policy, separate of the European Union. We can embrace the Abraham Accords in terms of trade, opportunity, uh, global Britain, in such an important area, actually philosophically and politically as well. The Abraham Accords is fundamentally something very different philosophically, particularly for Israel, who always reaches out to the world to create peace with any partner it possibly can. So it changes the temperature of the Arab world towards the kind of Western values that we have of peace and democracy. Well, I think there are several points in, uh, in what you raise there. The first is, yes, it does, post-Brexit, give Britain a chance to think again about foreign policy. And I have felt for a very long time that the uh, European Union is locked into a very sterile straitjacket in terms of foreign policy, which probably can be summed up by uh, that in terms of the Middle East, unless Israel-Palestine is completely resolved as an issue, nothing else can happen. Now, I think that is 
a, a non-productive, suboptimal approach at best, um, and simply reinforces all the mistakes of the past and stereotypes at worst. So we can break away from that, and I think that the Abraham Accords gives us a different way of looking at the politics of the Middle East, mm-hmm. a chance to, to, to work around the problems, to build trust, to build stability, to build prosperity, uh, and create an environment in which some of these other long-standing and seemingly insoluble issues can be dealt with. And if you think that, for example, in Northern Ireland, the thing that helped take Northern Ireland's politics was not confronting the hardliners on both sides. It was achieving a level of prosperity and stability within the rest of the population in which it became less and less attractive to be drawn politically to the extremes. Now, I think there's a lesson in that, and I think you could repeat that lesson in in many other places. Um, But I think that there is a new way uh, of thinking about this. And I think it's... When I was in the region recently the question that was being discussed was what is the priority now for the Abraham Accords? Is it to widen or is it to deepen? In other words, should we be deepening and increasing the level of integration and interaction between the countries which are currently members um, or should we be seeking to increase the number of members themselves? And and I think that the answer is neither. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's both. Mm-hmm. You, it's, it's not a choice of, of one thing or the other. I think there is a need to move forward, as I say, to show tangible benefits to citizens. But there is also a need to explore how this huge historic step can be used to to widen uh, the relationship and, and get rid of this ridiculous dated notion um, that about Israel not having a, a right to exist and so on. I mean, that's that's the middle of the 20th century. Yeah. We're approaching the second quarter of the 21st century now, and we need to think differently. If I was to summarise those glorious words uh, into a football result, I might have said Abraham Accords 1, Oslo Accords nil, because this is about Israel I- enveloping peace, building security, and those things coexist, as Dr. Michael Oren told me in our interview. There's a symbiotic relationship between peace and security. Uh, that you, you get security and you get peace. Um, you get peace, you get more security. Um, look what we have. We, we, because we are secure, because we're strong, we have these peace accords through the Abraham Agreement. Uh, and we've gotten more peace and even more security. Um, you know, the arc of Israel's existence thus far has been to be greater uh, prosperity, greater security, and greater peace. We're still on the arc, having said all that. And I always say Israel is a work uh, not only... Uh, uh, of progress, but a work in progress. And we're very much a work in progress, and that's part of the excitement of being here, is watching it grow. Britain still follows a form of the two-state solution line based upon the Oslo Accords, but that's rather been outmaneuvered by events, dear boy, events, hasn't it? The the Abraham Accords, what's left of Oslo when much of it seems represented, I'm afraid, by uh, Mahmoud Abbas's stewardship of the West Bank, you know, if um, we can push to perhaps where the Trump peace plan was, where Jason Greenblatt authored alongside Jared Kushner the idea of uh, a peace to prosperity that enabled Israel to complete the inclusion of Judea and Samaria into mainland Israel, then it would surprise an enormous amount of people in the pursuit of peace. Well, I think it's really important to, to show 
that the real prize of peace is prosperity mm-hmm. and that peace is not simply the absence of conflict. Um, peace is also about your ability to take your own decisions about self-determination uh, without coercion or fear. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I hope that this alternative route will produce, in, in, in your terms, a, a different football score, which is you know, optimism 5, pessimism 0, or future 5, and, and past inertia 0. And I think that we need, to, um, we need to, to, to genuinely understand what what's at stake here. And those who've been involved in this process took a calculated risk. Some would say a gamble, um, that they could change the course of history by what they were doing. Um, and I think that they will be vindicated by history because I think that fortune favours the brave yeah. um, and, and they have shown a great deal of moral courage as well as, I think, political insight in, in taking this course. And if they can show to all the people of the region that this level of increased trust, cooperation and, uh, and tolerance, more than tolerance, mutual acceptance yes. is what I would call it, then there are other prizes that, that come with it. And with stability comes peace, and with peace comes prosperity. And if you can show that to all those who for years have been in unbending, unyielding positions, then, then you're in a good place. And I think the message to them is, if you break, it's because you will not bend. And what the Abraham Accords shows is the way that you flex in order to achieve those great prizes for the future. The Kushner-Friedman-Greenblatt uh, plan has been called the most realistic peace deal of all because it represented mainly what was on the ground already. And, uh, you know, definitions are absolutely vital here. Jason Greenblatt, in my interview with him, called Israel's building programme one of towns, not settlements. Is this really still an obstacle to peace, sir? When are we going to stop backing the guys who always say no? This was the kind of the nub of the peace to prosperity plan, the deal of the century, that instead of Israel being forced to sue for peace, it's now up to the Palestinians. They've got four years, and that's all, folks. There is no reason why these Israelis who live in these areas, in Judea and Samaria, the biblical heartland of the Jewish people, need to remain in a state of limbo. There is no reason we should allow President Abbas and the Palestinian leadership to have a veto card in any way, shape, or form over Israelis who live in what I don't use as the term settlements. I use the term cities and towns, perhaps neighborhoods, because that's what they really are. The word settlements, historically, I understand why people started to use it. But over the years, it has been used as a pejorative term, as a political term, and that's not what it is. For those who don't go to the so-called settlements, they should understand that these are Neighborhoods no different than the neighborhood that I live in, Teaneck, New Jersey, with homes, with school children singing and playing soccer, and everything else that goes along with it. And what our plan does is not only give the Palestinians four years, as you said, to hopefully begin to understand the very many benefits that could come to them from negotiating on this plan and eventually hopefully signing a peace treaty, but it also gives the Israelis finality, finally, to allow these Israeli citizens to live like their brothers and sisters throughout the rest of Israel. It's been derailed slightly by Joe Biden winning the uh, election and America withdrawing, I think, perhaps from, from the region to a certain extent. But what about 
uh, if Trump gets back. What about those four years? Well, I would make no assumptions about American politics whatsoever. Um, I think that really is a mugs game. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, I think that uh, uh, recent events have also had their negative side, particularly uh, what I think was a catastrophic withdrawal and the means of withdrawal from Afghanistan that will have undermined America's allies to some extent. Uh, all the more reason for a country like the UK with its security uh, apparatus in the region to be more engaged, uh, not to mention, as I said earlier, our, our economic and diplomatic interests. But I think to come to the nub of your question, it is what I said earlier. It's a different way of thinking about the issue. It's to not say these are the difficult parts which, if not resolved, preclude movement in all the areas where we could actually get improvements in the quality of life of people right across the region. And I think in, in shifting that thinking, almost a mirror image of, of what was there before, it does offer a chance, ultimately, to resolve those seemingly intractable mm -hmm. issues. Um, and uh, we, either, we either stick with that very sterile, uh, backward-looking analysis of the region and its problems, or we learn to think differently and we become creative and optimistic about, about the future and we show that with genuine goodwill, great things are possible. And as I said um, uh, earlier, you know, you know, it doesn't matter what you call God if you believe there's only one God, it's how do you carry out uh, what is consistent with the practical messages that are uh, contained within all the uh, all those different interpretations of of the basic religious truth? A rabbi once told me, "One foot forward, and the whole perspective of the world changes," which is a quite brilliant and simple, uh, uh, brave perspective on what has been done with the Abraham Accords. Now, the UK relationship with Israel is in a golden phase. Cooperation between Britain and Israel has never been stronger from military, security, trade and beyond. But with uncertainties surrounding leadership longer term in this country of the Conservative Party, of being Prime Minister, how solid is that relationship? Is it dependent on whoever is Prime Minister? No, it's not. It's not any more than it's dependent upon who forms the government in Israel. There are imperatives in the relationship which go well beyond party or personality that we have strong mutual security interests that we've got strong mutual economic interests that we are innovative creative economies and people um, who when governments follow a more enlightened path can actually have a greater role in shaping the world around us it's a question of both courage but it's also a question of vision. The immediate dividend of the Abraham Accords, it appeared uh, on uh, breakfast television in the most unlikely places in this country, are the leaked tables of COVID vaccination. And I often saw Bahrain, UAE and Israel at the top of the vaccination league. And um, they, they uh, it seemed, I mean, I just want to understand here whether it was uh, because those countries were cooperating under the banner of the Abraham Accords or that the Abraham Accords was rather a symptom of kind of how well run those countries were in the first place. In other words, be like us. I think it's the latter. And I think that they had um, governments, all of which understood to act quickly was key. 
that vaccine was key um, and that uh, they were uh, quick off the mark to ensure that they had the physical ability in terms of vaccine supplies to do it. Um, it wasn't any magical uh, secret recipe for success. They just understood the basics mm -hmm. and that competent, quick decisions would actually benefit their citizens. And that's exactly what's happened. Israel is full of competent, quick decisions because, as Benjamin Netanyahu told Barack Obama in the Oval Office in a uh, dramatic, I think telling off was probably the way to describe it, was uh, Israel has a very narrow manoeuvre room uh, for making mistakes. Do you feel that Britain fully understands Israel's motives in that way? Because very often there are emergency situations. For example, the 4,000 rockets that flew into Israel across the spring of those 11 days and continued at New Year into 2021 and 2022. I think it depends what you mean by Britain. Does the British government understand it? I think yes. Does British public opinion understand it? Probably no. Um, and one of the things that I hope will come out of the Abraham Accord is a, is a greater uh, tendency of UK citizens to travel to Israel as well as the other countries uh, in the region and see for themselves the sort of cooperation um, that has come about as, as a result of the accord and, and get a better understanding. Um, I think where there is a failure uh, lies in two places. One is those who want to take a very narrow view of history and want to continue down this route that says the whole of the Middle East must be held hostage to the Israel-Palestinian uh, question and nothing can happen. Uh, that, that consigns the region to another dose of what we've had in the past. But I think a far bigger uh, element amongst those who don't understand the predicament of Israel, even the size of Israel, is part apathy uh, and part lack of knowledge. Mm. Um, both of those need to be addressed, and I hope that they will be. Dr. Liam Fox, optimistic words. Thank you very much for joining me on Johnny Gould's Jewish State. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Johnny Gould's Jewish State is supported by UK Teremet, promoting philanthropy.